Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, all right. It's time to enter our football time machine and go back to the decade, or there or thereabouts, let's be honest, uh, to the decade that we haphazardly labelled the noughties. Of course, that is the 2000s, and we're going to go to the football of its time. I am Jake from What If Football, and this is episode 55 of the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. And today, with it being the international break, when you listen to this, we're going to look at the very worst World Cup ever. We've got some... Uh, Huge debate in this podcast to come, and if we've got time at the end of today's show, like uh, so many other shows before on this podcast, we tend to run out a little bit of time, but if we've got time, we're going to take a look at the 2006 World Cup, and reasons for that will become clear in the very first segment of this show, which of course is the very very worst World Cup ever. Some debate around that, let's get stuck straight into it, shall we? Before we start, this is a brief reminder that we are a Sports Social Podcast Network production and if you are enjoying this podcast on, say, a podcast aggregator, get yourself on to uh, the Sports Social Podcast Network where there's uh, tons of football podcasts to sink your teeth into and other sports as well. To be fair, we'll be there three days a week with Ranks, Notice Nostalgia, as you're hearing it today, and the Barclays, although not this week because we are taking a couple of weeks break to... uh, digest the opening season we'll be back with the 93-94 season in a week or two's time and of course if you're enjoying podcasts like these join the team sign up to our patreon page that's patreon.com forward slash what if football for just one pound a month we do five days a week bonus content be it nostalgic podcasts like these in the form of great games looking at some fantastic games of football like we did for example newcastle 8 sheffield wednesday nil from uh, 1999 a couple of uh, weeks ago also we do head to head we've got a Lionel messi versus diego maradona episode out last week which was uh 
compelling to say the least. Also, we've got a review and preview of the weekend's action as well as what if alternate football universe. Your suggested what if alternate football universe is in a 15 to 20 minute mailbag. Sometimes goes over, sometimes goes under, depends how many suggestions I do get over there on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash what if football. So now I've shilled my way through that introduction. We're going to take a look at the worst World Cups ever. And we've only got four suggestions here because I think on the whole, being football fans, we tend to think, or we like to think that football's good quite a lot of the time, especially at the high level, which the World Cup is supposed to be the highest level, isn't it? Um, we've got quite a lot of suggestions for this first one. So I'll put it right at the front. 2010 in South Africa. So the following all suggested this. Chris Kelly. Had a better, faster Stroma, the FT LOL podcast, Dean Pope, DSM 1992, Cameron Flaws, Joe, Matty Mack, George Spencer, and Patamon Fan 1991 all suggested the 2010 World Cup in South Africa is the worst ever World Cup, and you can stick me in and amongst that as well, um, at least in my lifetime. Of course, Chris says, No, any of the others had a better, faster Stroma, just says simply Finn in terms of. That's the end of the conversation. It is the 2010 World Cup. FD LOL chimes in with Waving Flag is the best ever World Cup theme. I do agree with that one. Um, but the football itself was nowhere near the other tournaments. Also agree with that one as well. Uh, Dean says, Vuvuzela's Lampard's goal, the grounds, the atmosphere, how bad England were, all contributed to that. DSM says, comfortably the worst World Cup in living memory and it's not even close. Uh, Matty says 2010 or 1934, Vuvuzela's and Mussolini, and I think you can probably lump um, Argentina in 1978 in with that one as well with the uh, Mussolini bit. But let's talk about the 2010 World Cup podcast because nobody watched the 1934 World Cup. It wasn't even televised. And quite frankly, there's very little people alive who watched that, I imagine. So first and foremost, what do you play football with? The ball. The Jabulani ball was quite catastrophic really it was a absolutely superb football in the pack Matty Mack there who uh, who suggests 2010 we used to take his Jabulani football up to the park I can almost see from a window here and uh, play with that all summer and it was it made you feel like Cristiano Ronaldo because it bent and swerved and dipped in the air and it was amazing to play with not to watch in a professional capacity um, it was only really a number of players who knew how to actually strike the ball properly. A lot of players would get the ball, shoot from distance, primarily Frank Lampard here. And um, just striking, it just used to balloon up and just drift off. And presumably it was still floating in space. I don't know. Only Diego Fala knew how to strike it from distance, get the free kicks in, which he's got a couple to be fair. And the uh, antithesis of this, the goalkeepers, they were fumbling it a lot. There was a couple of goals during the Algeria-Slovenia game. Who remembers that? Nobody, because it's very immemorable. And um, because of this, there's a lack of goals. And to be fair, if we compare goals and goal averages from World Cup to World Cup, we only really can start at the 1962 World Cup. I think in the 1960s, football becomes more serious, more professional. You've got uh, continental competitions with um, the Champions League, or rather the European Cup coming through. The Libertadores was um, starting up as well. It was not just a a tournament between Uruguayan and Brazilian teams. All of South America was in it as well. So you've got that. And that's probably why European and South American teams largely have more importance on the game and are better because of the continental competitions coming up a bit um, sooner. Of course, you've still got Copper America there in the 1910s. 
And the Euros would come in the 1960s, wouldn't they? And so the 60s, I think, is a good a good sort of benchmark. Also, the format seemed to uh, seem to sort of um, go into what is a proper, what we'd call a World Cup format um, from 1958 onwards. 1954 was stupid, where you played seeded versus unseeded teams. Two group games, even though it was four, group, four teams in a group. Daft. From 1958, it was a straight, you know, 16 teams quarterfinals, semifinals, etc., etc., um, from a group stages, which what what was the Euros before 2016. Obviously, the formats would go mental, but that's not what we're going to talk about. The goal average was wavering, really, 2.5, which is about what you'd expect from a, a glut of football matches through the 70s and 80s. Obviously, Italia 90 plunges that down to the worst ever, 2.21. South Africa wouldn't go lower than that in 2010, but there had been a sharp increase during the 90s. The 2000s, 1998 was uh, a good one for that. I think the 2006 World Cup tournament that, of course, I'm going to discuss later, a tournament I feel strongly about was uh, 2.3 goals, but even South Africa's World Cup afterwards bottomed out at 2.23. And obviously goals equals entertainment for the majority of football. Obviously there are entertaining nil-nil draws. There are still 3-2 wins that aren't an enjoyable watch. Some are, most of them are of course, but some aren't. Um, I think the at least with the FIFA and UEFA utilisation of VAR, we tend to think that it allowed for more goals in 2018, but actually 2014 edges it for the goal average 2.7 to 2.6, which is why I think, which I'm going to discuss later in my theory, World Cups have probably got better as we'll go on. So the quality of games will will lack in goals doesn't necessarily equate to quality of a football match, um, but Usually it does, but the, these are some of the games that I found entertaining. So you've got South Africa beating France 2-1, and I think that's mainly because of the off-field France story going into the final group game. it's a, They've got to win by two clear goals to go through. And then you've got the Portugal beating North Korea 7-0, Germany beating Australia 4-0, Argentina beating South Korea 4-1. More, uh, more so out of morbid curiosity of a thrashing that you tend not to get as much. Of course, there's always a Hungary 10, El Salvador 1. There's always a Germany 8, Saudi Arabia 0. There's always a Germany 7, Brazil 1 lurking around the corner in some tournaments. But for the most part, you don't get a thrashing at a World Cup. Obviously, England and Belgium's group in the last World Cup was a bit of an outlier because it was very um, dominated by two teams in that one. Um, probably the best, um, probably the best match of the tournament was Slovakia three, Italy two. One for the story, one for the actual quality, one for the drama. Obviously, Italy versus Netherlands uh, versus New Zealand rather in a one-one draw provided some entertainment because of the shock factor with Halifax Towns Shane Smelt scoring <laughs> for New Zealand. But that, I don't think that was enough. Really, likewise we. With Spain against Switzerland, uh, Switzerland winning 1-0 in that one. Um, there was also a story of Ghana getting through, beating uh, America. That was a fairly entertaining game. I think when it gets to extra time, it becomes, although the quality of the match decreases, the drama rapidly increases with the onset of potential penalties. But then you also, you have to say, Paraguay versus Japan wasn't uh, an entertaining game, despite going to penalties. Even more so in 2006, Switzerland versus Ukraine probably one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. Then you've got also Uruguay versus Ghana, which does go to penalties, but it is obviously there's so much going into that. You've got Ghana potentially going to become 
the first African representation at a World Cup in a semi-final in South Africa as well. And all of Africa was celebrating them. All of, I'd say everybody but Uruguay was supporting Ghana that night. And obviously, then you've got the pantomime villain in Luis Suarez handling the ball. You've got the drama of the missed penalty all on 120 minutes. That... like I say, it's between that and Slovakia and Italy um, game, really in the group stages, which eliminated Italy for the game of the game of the uh, tournament. But I think it's more for drama rather than the actual quality, which is good in of itself, of course. Um, but still, you want at least some quality in a uh, in a World Cup in a major international football tournament. Obviously, you got good, well, not good, but morbid games of Germany thrashing England and Argentina. Potentially Netherlands versus Brazil in the quarterfinals, that may get overlooked. It tends to be um, a good match anyway whenever they meet, so 1994 for example. Um, But I fail to look back on it fondly at all. There's obviously controversy. Lampard scores against Germany, not allowed. Argentina's goal against Mexico as well, which they showed on the big screen in Johannesburg and Mexican players went mental. Um, and not to disparage a culture, you've also got the Vuvuzela, which is just, it's like a, a swarm of bees surrounding the uh, pitch side microphones. It was, uh, yeah, I'm not too bothered about that, obviously, after a while you do kind of tune out to it. Um, but obviously for that first game, I think it was South Africa versus Mexico, it was a bit of a shock. Uh, but that that wasn't as offensive as the, uh, the football on display. Obviously, you have also got stars not showing up. Lionel Messi didn't find the net in what was a fairly decent Argentina team, which looked quite good until the quarterfinals. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo only scoring against North Korea, spitting at the camera as well, going out early in the last 16. You've got Fernando Torres, who was, to be fair, not at full fitness. You've got Wayne Rooney shouting down the camera at his own fans in, a, to be fair, a bleak England team there. And we also have to look at... Um, Dean's point here um, saying how bad England were should a World Cup be diminished by how well your team does Um, I think in 2014 despite England going out in the groups for what was the only time in my lifetime at the World Cup anyway I do remember the Euros in 2000 I still think the football was excellent um, and for 2000 and 2008 which of course England didn't qualify for I think Euro 2000 is the best tournament ever uh, for the quality of the football, the drama, everything, the stars on show. 2008 was very, very good as well. Group C was memorable. When you get to the group, when you get to the knockout phases, it becomes slightly predictable. But there's still um, excitement in there, especially Turkey's games in the knockout phase. So I think it doesn't matter for me, at least. If anything, it sort of relieves the pressure and you're not thinking about England all the time. But also 2018, I think 2018 was enhanced from a selfish point of view by England doing very well, obviously getting to the semi-finals. 2020, to a lesser extent because of the fans not being in as much, um, but still the wave of optimism, the you know the feeling out in the street was just, it takes it to another level for me. And um, I think I've got, a, I don't know if it's true or not, but if both halves of the draw have to be good to be, to be considered a good tournament. Obviously, conversely, if one half of the draw is bad, does that make for a bad tournament? So I think the most recent three tournaments, the Euros in 2016, 2018 World Cup and the Euros in 2020 to an extent all suffered from this. So in 2016, you've got Portugal playing sailing route to the final, really, once they'd beaten Croatia. England, they would have done too 
done so as well, thanks to, um, unfortunately, they would uh, lose to Croatia in the semi-finals, but that's because of teams like Spain dropping out. And arguably they did in 2021 as well after beating Germany. And that's because of teams like the Netherlands dropping out and obviously Spain not winning the group. So it does depend on a lot of teams all doing their bit. And um, it's also a fact of 2002, which we'll discuss now. So the 2002 World Cup suggested as the worst ever World Cup by James FF, the classic Trefoil and Jonathan R. So James says it's a parody full of corruption and refereeing bias from start to finish. There is factual evidence and documents about it. Trefoil also says these shirts were generally awful, which I tend to disagree with because I think the Nike templates, all of the R templates, I think the Nike templates from 2002, from 2004 as well, especially, were just excellent. Absolutely wonderful. Um, I love them. Um, I think it's just at the right time for me being a eight, nine, ten-year-old at that time, 11. Um, fantastic. Uh, Jonathan says, full of mediocre water carriers as a star player, utterly fixed refereeing for South Korea. Two forgettable finalists who had been dreadful the previous two years. Very goals, very few goals, and no great games apart from USA versus Portugal. And I agree, disagree with um, two forgettable finalists. Germany, for me, um, I've said this on a number of occasions, we look very fortunate with their path to the final Paraguay, USA and uh, and South Korea there. Um, but Brazil, I thought were unforgettable, if anything. I think they're one of the, even though it's a haphazard tournament, really, um, I still think they were very, very entertaining. It's got a, a glut of goals in what was admittedly an easier group, China, Costa Rica, for example. But then you've got Ronaldinho, you've got Rivaldo, you've got Roberto Carlos, Ronaldo, and he says there um, had been dreadful the previous two years. Brazil, yes, did um, just about scrape through qualification, but I think that's because Ronaldo was injured for the most part. And once Ronaldo got back on the pitch for Brazil, overcoming those injuries, that's what you see. Um, and that's why Brazil was so good in that tournament. And I think without him there, if it had stayed injured, I think you would have had two forgettable finalists in England. And obviously the wave of optimism in 2002 under Sven for England I think um, having watched a few of the games back, it, it's dreadful football, really. It really is. Um, Denmark first half was quite good. Apart from that, pff, not really for me. Uh, so right, let's get on to a point that's been covered in quite a lot of those points there. Refereeing. So obviously you have got South Korea. <laughs> They've got them against Italy and Spain. It's quite obvious, isn't it? Um, cheating their way through. It's not the players' fault, obviously. It's FIFA from above really um, perhaps getting into the ear um, after Japan's elimination there to Turkey in the last 16, South Korea needed to fly the flag for the country. Primarily, I think, to keep them, to keep the fans sort of interested, to keep um, fans in attendance for the final final few games. But I still think that Far East Asian fans are absolutely wild for football. They were then, they especially are now. Uh, so I think it was a bit unnecessary. Obviously, you get Spain's egregious disallowed goals uh, but you still they have to win the penalty shootout um, you've got Italy um, you get a red card disallowed goal obviously not don't talk about that if Christian Vieri doesn't miss that sitter in the uh, the last minute of the game and then you've got obviously Andrew Wang scoring the goal for South Korea superb um, story in of itself if you um, take apart the refereeing of course there's been an admittance of guilt before from FIFA um, for this tournament and in 1998 to keep Brazil and France apart. Brazil, the favourites, France, the hosts, of course, that happened and they got to the final. But of course, that doesn't happen if one of the teams just sort of mess up and get second place because then they'd be meeting each other and 
in the same half of the draw before the final, wouldn't it? Um, I've also got a theory of there is a determinable number of shocks, which is a correct amount to make a tournament good or bad. So in 2018, I think it was almost just about right. You've got Spain losing to the host, which is a feel-good story, no matter what you might think about Russia. You've got some great stories in the group. Group B, for example, is just superb drama from start to finish. You've got um, Spain, Portugal, Morocco and Iran. Spain and Portugal not winning their final group games to make things a bit interesting going into the uh, final few minutes, especially when Iran were attacking Portugal's goal. And um, Germany going out as well. So that's another shock. So there's two shocks, two big shocks in the 2018 World Cup. I think two or three, I think is that's what you want really from a World Cup to make it interesting. For me, dubbed an elitist before, I want to see the best play the best. I want to see the top, eight of the top 10 teams get to a quarterfinal. I feel like certain tournaments, 2002 especially, when you've got Brazil versus Turkey, Germany versus South Korea, huge culprit for this. When you go into the semi-finals and you know the final already is depressing. Um, of course, there's obviously some outliers to this. In 2004, Greece versus Czech Republic. Czech Republic were playing some fantastic football. I expected them to play Portugal in the final. Didn't happen, of course, and then Greece gone to win the tournament. So there is that. Obviously, 2008, you've got Spain versus Russia. You've got Germany versus Turkey, which... Like this tournament in 2002, the favourite semi-finalists go through. So, And I think 2002, to an extent, I think you got too many shocks. If you can have too many shocks, of course, you've got Argentina, Portugal all out at the group stages. You've got Italy out in the last 16. And you, I, I think it's quite bad when, like in the most recent Euros, you've got one quarter of the draw where there's no big teams in it. And so you're guaranteed a semi-finalist where... It's not a, not a huge team. So, for example, in this, you've got Sweden versus Senegal, Japan versus Turkey in the most recent Euros. You've got Netherlands getting knocked out by Czech Republic and then Denmark versus Wales. Of course, Denmark played fantastic football. And the story of that, I think, supersedes my theory, to be fair, to an extent. This one, though, 2002, less so. Um, obviously, another week, quarter of the draw is Germany getting through Paraguay and then USA with no shocks involved either. There's no, like, um, South Korea dumping out, no USA dumping out a huge team like Argentina. It's Germany just rattling off some world ranking teams between sort of 15 and 30 and simple path to the final, really, which is annoying. It's something you don't want to see at a World Cup. Um, obviously, there's an argument that England, if they win their group, they would be in the... A, a good quarter of the draw, an easier quarter of the draw. Same goes for Argentina, obviously France, Portugal as well. Also, we factor in that Sweden are a very good team at the time. So whether or not it's a week, I think the onus falls on the the big teams to play well, obviously. So if Sweden gets to the semi-finals in 2002, I don't think it's too much of a shock. So the 2002 World Cup video game, they do like a... I always use this for an example for some reason. They have like a montage at the start where you've got all the front runners teams lifting the trophy. So you'd have an Argentina, Brazil, Italy, Germany, England for some reason, and then Sweden at the end. So that sort of infers that we're a very good team. Um, I think there there is room for shock stories and obviously a couple of big teams going out early because there are roughly 16 or so you'd expect entertaining teams at a World Cup that you know could make up a a good last 16, make it a good 
good last 16 story. Still have quality games by the quarterfinals. Here, though, it's um, for me, it's difficult to get behind, especially with the semi-finals as they are. Um, I do love a shock. Loved uh, Germany getting uh, knocked out in 2018, France in 2010, in 2002, Italy in 2010 as well. So there is um, scope for this theory in 2010 as well. One that I don't agree with, Crunch Pro suggests 2014. I think it's the only one, only suggestion here that I'm disagreeing with. You've got superb moments. You've got the group stages for me were wildly entertaining. Spain losing 5-1 to the Netherlands. Obviously, as you go on in the tournament, you've got Brazil's capitulation. All Brazil's games were entertaining in the knockout phase. The, the penalty shootout against Chile, the Colombia game. I think there's enough shocks. So Spain going out in the groups. Italy and England going out of the same group. Portugal going out in the group. I think that's the absolute maximum though, because you've still got like... Belgium were just coming to the fore. This was their first World Cup in 12 years um, and they were a very good team. So they take the mantle of a big team as well. You've got America playing decent enough football as well. And with it being in South America, you've got enough good South American teams to pull through. I think it was only Ecuador in the end that didn't qualify for the last 16. You had an entire quarter of the draw, purely just um, South American teams with Brazil beating Chile on uh, penalties. You've got James Rodriguez firing Colombia threw against Uruguay, which is a fantastic goal as well. Um, I think that won the uh, Puskas Award that year. I'm not too sure on that one. And then obviously got Argentina making it all the way to the final. Messi with Argentina finally working at a high level in a World Cup. So the stars were on show. Um, there was a little glimpse of a shock element with Costa Rica, of course, eliminating both Italy and England. Uh, getting to the quarterfinals as well, which was good. Algeria, I think, put up a fight against Germany, taking them to extra time. I think Belgium versus USA, in terms of games of football quality, and um, I think that's one of the best World Cup games I've seen for a long time. Netherlands, although they started well, seemed to get progressively worse, but we were always, I think, entertaining, and maybe it is elitist, but I think there was the right teams in the final. Um, the finals usually aren't fun, really, are they, anyway? Um, 2006 was probably before 2018. That is 2006, probably only entertaining because that headbutt off uh, Zinedine Zidane. Um, 1998 was strange. Obviously, you still got the Ronaldo, you got the Ronaldo seizure, and um, France just obliterating Brazil afterwards. So there's never been really any high quality World Cup finals. At, uh, I seem to think, obviously, the 2018 was entertaining enough because it had six goals in it, of course. And our final suggestion, 1994, suggested by Millie Air and Cycle Yam. So, travelling might have been an issue in America. Obviously, this game was, this World Cup was played in America. I still think the groups will seem to be paired off as best as they possibly could. I think, for me, it's a World Cup full of moments. You've got um, Saudi Arabia's goal against Belgium, which is incredible. You've got Maradona against Greece. Ray Horton against Italy. You've got good games sprinkled in and amongst there. You've got Romania beating Argentina, Bulgaria beating Germany. So you've got, I think, enough shocks. Obviously, England don't qualify. <laughs> and Brazil beat the Netherlands 3-2. You've got the stars of the show going absolutely crazy. You've got Stoichkov, Georgi Hadji from Romania, Bulgaria, who were just dragging them through. You've got uh, Romario and Baggio just putting on absolute clinics. Maybe too many shocks, and there is that element of. Um, I don't know, actually. I don't think there is too many shocks. I think it's more the element of the semi finalists being quite easy to um, deduce a final out of. Because Sweden, I think, 
fairly fortunate to get through Romania. I think Romania would have been more apt semi-finalist there because we had G in one semi-final, Stoichkov in the other for Bulgaria. I think um, that would have been kind of entertaining. Romania-Bulgaria final would have been uh, something that I would have hated, really, if I was... Uh, I can't remember this World Cup, I was one. Um, but uh, the semi-finalists, for me, it's just... I just don't agree with it, <laughs> unfortunately. I know it's... Uh, a really pernickety thing. Of course, there's no English involvement, which I don't think hampers a World Cup or anything like that from um, a selfish point of view. We do have Ireland get into the last 16, as they always do, to be fair, in a World Cup, and uh, provided special enough moments there anyway. So we end with a theory, really. Uh, red card shirts, he says, World Cups have got worse have I got, as I've got older. 98 and 2002 I can very vaguely remember being good. 2006 is the first one I can clearly remember and it was quite entertaining. 2010 was alright I guess. 2014 was a bit meh but, but bar one or two games and 2018 was the same. So my theory and uh, it's quite um, probably everyone really knows it really the the first World Cup you clearly remember is the best. I've, re I've To be fair I've got a similar timeline here um, I remember 2006 the clearest. I remember spots of 98, so the England games against Tunisia and Colombia, Argentina. I remember the final as well. 2002, I remember all of it that I could stay up and watch, for example, because obviously being in the UK with the Japanese and Korean time zones, it was quite hard to keep track of as a uh, as a nine-year-old going to school. And obviously, people in this country will have me vivid memories of packing out um dinner halls and assembly halls to watch games against Nigeria and Brazil, which are quite fond memories. 2006 was clearest day for me. Um, France 98, I think because it is so good and it is get, does get well revered and the games that I watched and the games I remember were absolutely fun, fantastic. You've got big moments in it. Bergkamp, etc. scoring against Argentina. You've got Ronaldo, Rivaldo being absolutely amazing. Zidane putting on... Uh, Good shows in the knockout phase, at least. Um, but I'll admit, um, obviously, I think 2006 is a great World Cup, but I'll admit that I don't think it's nowhere near as exciting as 2014 or 2018. 2010, I think, was hampered by extenuating circumstances like the pitches, like the Jabulani football. But I feel on the whole, as football has got better and more dramatic, I think World Cups have been get, getting better progressively. So, of course, it does help that your team does well. But from a point of view, in 2018 World Cup, you've got some fantastic games sprinkled in and amongst. Yeah, you do have the England penalty shootout in the last 16. You've got Belgium beating, beating Japan 3-2, which is an absolutely insane game of football. Spain versus Portugal in the groups, 3-3. France beating Argentina 4-3. You've got only one nil-nil draw. There's enough shocks for it to be palatable. So Germany going out in the groups, Spain beaten by Russia. And obviously, as I said before, Group B was highly entertaining. There's only a couple of groups really that weren't really sort of interesting. Because even in some, you've got Switzerland versus Serbia going out for a qualification spot, which was very entertaining in and of itself. And I do think um, World Cups will continue to get better. And I think maybe 2022 will take a step back a little bit because like 2010 will get uh, hampered by extenuating circumstances this being heat exhaustion most out most uh notably but by 2026 i think we'll be back on track there may be a lack of goals in that 2022 tournament as well but on the other hand if the stadiums are so good at um conditioning the um the sort of for the fans and the and the uh, players on the pitch with players in full swing really in a season 
we might see even better quality. So it's kind of on a on a knife edge which way it'll go, really. So if the stadiums are very good in terms of um, keeping the heat out, air conditioning the pitch, the ground, and not interfering with play as much, I think 2022 World Cup can be good. Obviously, there's humanitarian aspects of it that are by no means good. Um, but the football, at least, um, something we can at least fall back on. With players in full swing, uh, being essentially being played mid-season, mid, mid, uh, mid season, we could see a lot of Premier League players playing very, very well at that tournament. Less so European um, players who, like German, Italian, Spanish, French, who get a long break during the middle of it. Obviously, England have had that as well. But I think uh, 2022's World Cup will... Uh, it's, it's, it's on a knife edge whether or not it'll be good and that's um, I should stick that on the poster really <laughs> so now we've concluded I think I think that the main consensus is 2010 and 2002 with the Wales World Cups obviously this is from points of view I'd love to hear if you've obviously been around for longer whether you thought the 1990 World Cup was dross as it's um, proclaimed to be um, in football wise drama wise obviously not so much the um 80s World Cups, the 70s World Cups, of course, Argentina 78 could be one, really, um, if you remember that, if I've got anyone who listens to us who were around in the 70s. But uh, without further ado, we'll take a, a wee break before we uh, crack on with a quick skimmed review of the 2006 World Cup, which is, despite being, I admit, not a great World Cup, one of my favourites. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back. Let's kick on with... All the group stages, shall we? So in Group A, Germany, Poland, Ecuador, Costa Rica, the home side, Germany. They've been managed by Jürgen Klinsmann. More crucially, though, maybe assisted by Jürgen Löw. The nation hadn't really been at the races since the early 90s. We've got the embarrassments of the World Cups in um, 94 against Bulgaria, 98 against Croatia, the group exits of 2000 and 2004. As we discussed, they got a welcoming path to the final in 2002, didn't they? Largely helped by Golden Ball winner Oliver Kahn, Michael Ballack as well. Regardless, though, optimism was was high. Miroslav Klose was up front for Germany. Meanwhile, you've got uh, younger stars like Lukas Podolski, Schweinsteiger, Lahm as well. And they were expected to do this group with ease. They did show vulnerabilities, conceded two against Costa Rica, left it late against Poland, but uh, finally got going with a 3-0 win against Ecuador and, and this group would essentially be decided between the other two teams in the first match day really and Ecuador's win over Poland for me came at a surprise anyway because you think with Poland playing in Germany and maybe being marginal whether or not they were a better team for me it came as a surprise Ecuador's win over Costa Rica less so and Ecuador was sailing through before the finale this was only their second World Cup the first and so far only place in the last 16 where they would come up against the winner from Group B. Group B being England, Sweden, Paraguay and Trinidad and Tobago. So England had one of the best collections of players at the tournament, picking my words wisely there. Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, Wayne Rooney. Surely 40 years of hurt was to be over and from my standpoint I was adamant that we were going to win this tournament. Sweden we all knew about from various tournaments, the 2002 World Cup, qualifying for Euro 2000 as well. Paraguay had gotten out of groups in 98, 2002. Trinidad and Tobago were newbies, but expected to be steamrolled, but neither Sweden nor England steamrolled them. 
Trindad and Tobago didn't concede until the 80th minute of the second game with Peter Crouch. And even that was a bit cheating, dragging on the uh, defenders' dreadlocks there. And uh, Stephen Gerrard got the second one when the game was over. England would then confirm the top spot with ease, really, not conceding against Paraguay in what was a desperate one nil win really a bit of a slog sweden uh some soft draw soft goals in a 2-2 draw there for england and regardless germany were avoided that was a plus point and the point for sweden allowed them to go through following their own one nil win against paraguay in group c we've got the group of death if there was to be one argentina the netherlands ivory coast and serbia and montenegro so neither serbia montenegro well serbia montenegro had a pinch of world cup experience from um previous nations of course Yugoslavia Ivory Coast had the talent but no experience you've got Aruna Dindan you've got Solomon Kalou you've got the Kone brothers you've got Didier Drogba Torre brothers as well but Argentina and Netherlands were far more superior and proved it really Argentina more so putting six beyond Serbia and Montenegro that superb Cambiaso team goal up there with Carlos Alberto not just just slightly behind and um, a game that saw um, the debut goal from Lionel Messi in the World Cup and while, meanwhile, Netherlands qualify with one goal wins thanks to their own star studded lineup Van Nistel, Roy Van Persie, Robin. And uh, Netherlands took the draw in a nil nil stalemate with Argentina, one of a handful of stale matches at this World Cup, really. Uh, Portugal, Mexico, Angola, and Iran played out Group D, Portugal, escaping the draw with the easiest seeds of the lot, Mexico. Uh, Mexico, though, they put the sword to uh, put Iran to the sword, rather, whilst. Uh, Portugal had their own golden generation, yet they were toiling. They only beat Angola 1-0. Mexico would drop points to Angola, so maybe Angola were fantastic, but uh, they would um, lose to Portugal with Mexico, and which confirmed Portugal versus the Netherlands for the last 16. Probably the, one of the most exciting games ahead for the knockout phase, but you've also got uh, Mexico's fate in the hands of an already eliminated Iran. Three-goal win for Angola was needed. That would obviously prove too much Angola drew. And to be fair, they have only played three games in the World Cup. They've only lost one. So another draw for the debutants there. They've yet to, uh, yet to return. In Group E, we've got Italy, Ghana, Czech Republic, America. Ghana were a bit like Ivory Coast. Um, an unknown quantity at the World Cup level. They did have superb players. I use SEN. Uh, lesser names, but still, um, I think, tipped to maybe maybe uh, get through to the last 16. They did hold their own against Italy, especially so against Czech Republic, the semi-finalists from the Euros in 2005. I was expecting Czech Republic to sail through with Italy, uh, especially in a European World Cup, and especially after Thomas Rosicki's inspired 3-0 win against America. But um, Czech Republic would lose to Ghana. America would dismal as well. Their presence ended with a final defeat to Ghana picking up just the one point. Uh, the only points that Italy dropped, uh, coincidentally, thanks to a Christian Zicardo on goal. And the Czech Republic's loss against Ghana was costly as they failed to make a World Cup knockout again, still not done so since 1990 before the uh, dissolution of Czechoslovakia. Group F was Brazil, Australia, Croatia and Japan, the holders in Brazil, but weakened holders. Ronaldinho was at his peak, but Ronaldo less so, whilst other names like Roberto Carlos, Cafu were over the hill. The tactics not so good. Um, if you listen to the 30 greatest Brazilian footballers in our ranked episode yesterday on the Sport Social Podcast Network, you'll know the tactics weren't so cracking with uh, a double pivot of Gilberto Silva and uh, Juninho was uh, rather just attack is the best form of defence. But Brazil got three wins from three arguably against weak opponents here. 
They did have fresh attacking talent. They got Kaká and Adriano and Ronaldo did break the goals record here at this World Cup. Um, but you've got teams like Japan who toiled to one point from two games, briefly led Brazil, but the group decider would be between Croatia and Australia, marred, of course, by Graham Paul showing three yellow cards to a player. In and amongst that, there was a football match. Australia drew, confirming a first knockout stage appearance. And in Group G, similarly easy work was expected by France as they met Switzerland, South Korea and Togo. Among the favourites, France were hoping to dispel the embarrassments of the previous two tournaments where they'd gone out early. Of course, as we know, it didn't start the best. Drew 0-0 to Switzerland, drew 1-1 to South Korea. And Zinedine Zidane was banned for the final group game and he was announced in his retirement and he would potentially had the fate of his, the rest of his career, which was at this point, five games at absolute maximum. His fate, his fate as a professional footballer hung in the balance of his teammates. But thankfully, the final group game was against Togo and uh, France eked out a 2-0 win. Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry. Switzerland and South Korea have done the same, which left the winner of their match going through and essentially going top. So Felipe Zendros, Alexander Fry scored the goals. A lack of goals really across the board, or you could attribute that to good defences. Who knows? Switzerland were the best of the lot in terms of defences. The only team not to concede in the group stages, and that would continue into the knockout phase, but more on that before. After rather, Group H, Spain, Ukraine, Saudi Arabia, Tunisia. There was a distinct favourite two here, um, in spite of Ukraine being debutants, but they'd got so close to tournaments again and again and again. Andrei Shevchenko finally getting to a tournament. And obviously, despite Spain being perennial underachievers, there would be no different here. They put seven beyond Ukraine and Tunisia. They did look irresistible for a time and would be alongside the likes of Brazil, Germany and Portugal as the ones to get nine points from nine. Ukraine were fairly convincing in getting through as well. They're making it through to the last 16. Started with Germany and Germany had grown from a reliance from Miroslav Klose into Lukas Podolsk as he got the girly goals against Sweden, but back again to Klose for to dig them out of the hole really against Argentina in the quarterfinals with an equaliser to force penalties. Argentina had gone the distance with Mexico, goal of the tournament, of course, if you remember from Maxi Rodriguez, which was out of this world, wasn't it? But in the quarterfinals, they went the distance again, but Jens Lehmann had their number. Esteban Cambiasso missing a vital penalty. You might remember the uh, the names on the water bottle of Lehmann doing a bit of uh, reverse psychology on Cambiasso because his name wasn't on the bottle. So there you go, mind games. Uh, Italy were lucky to scrape through a, a resolute Australian side with a late, late, late Francesco Totti penalty, but no luck needed against uh, Ukraine. Luca Toni, one of the stars of the show in this World Cup, bagging a brace. Ukraine, though, they'd eliminated Switzerland in one of the uh, worst game of football ever in the last 16, um, as we already mentioned, uh, which after a 0-0 draw and a 3-0 win on penalties gave Switzerland the distinction as being the only nation eliminated from a World Cup without conceding a single goal. I'm sure they'll be happy with that. England, meanwhile, they were making hard work of it. Beckham's free kick was needed against Ecuador whilst... Injuries to Beckham, Owen and a red card for Rooney against Portugal hampered them going into the quarterfinal. Portugal had suspensions of their own after the Battle of Nuremberg with the Netherlands. Manish scored the winner whilst Deco and Costinha would sit out the England game. And uh, Ricardo was the hero from the spot against England in the quarterfinal, saving three, dumping England out on penalties again just like two years prior. Brazil, they were just about getting into a rhythm, you felt. They put three more beyond Ghana in the last 16 match, which featured Ronaldo's 
final international goals and then you've got them meeting France in the quarterfinals. Coming off a bit of a shock, it seemed really, because France hadn't started all that well. Spain were ramming through opponents. You expected them to at least win or get close to winning the tournament at some point, but Zinedine Zidane returned. He took the game by the scruff of the neck as he won 3-0 and then in the quarterfinals. They capitalised on a bit of a lapse by Roberto Carlos to sneak the quarterfinal. Thierry Henry scoring there in a 1-0 win over Brazil. The two favourites meeting there, really, maybe, with France? I don't know. It's hard to... Well, Germany were probably favourites as well, weren't they? And Germany brought the hometown feel-good atmosphere for once. Um, anything now, I think, was a bonus with the young squad they had. Italy, they uh, hadn't had a settled defence, but they looked good up top, especially Luca Toni. Fabio Cannavaro, though, was their main man at the back, um, the only ever present across that defensive four as well. Portugal had their suspended players back. They had a fit and fire in Luis Figo, Cristiano Ronaldo, Pauletta as well. And they had France, a France commanded by Zinedine Zidane. Zidane would score the winner against Portugal from the spot. He'd score in the final from the spot too, wouldn't he? Uh, the final against Italy, as Fabio Cannavaro put in the shift of a lifetime. Forever known now as the Berlin Wall, despite that semi-final match being played at Dortmund, but uh, let not, not let that get in the way of... Um, a good nickname, really. Fabio Grosso and Alessandro Del Piero picking apart Germany in extra time. They're two of my most favourite goals from World Cup history, by the way. Obviously, you get to the final, Marco Materazzi levels up Zidane's opener. The two inextricably linked in this tournament through their goals and with the headbutt heard around the world or felt around the world. Um, and injury aside, really, probably one of the most catastrophic ends to a career we're ever likely to see. Headbutting a man walking past the World Cup trophy that you can't win again for the second time because it would be Italy. Winning from the spot, winning their fourth World Cup, unlike in 12 years prior when they lost the uh, the World Cup from the uh, penalty spot against Brazil, whilst France would have to wait another 12 years, enduring another embarrassment in South Africa, as would Italy, of course, kickstarting this trend of World Cup holders crashing out the group stages, so taking it back to France, watch out in Qatar because they're going out in the groups. Uh, so... Next episode, we are going to take a look at the worst goalkeepers ever. And we're also going to take a look at something that I promised a couple of weeks back. Uh, a look at post-Rafael Benitez, Liverpool. Of course, if you're enjoying podcasts like these, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash whatifootball, where for £1 extra a month, you can have five days a week bonus content. Doesn't that sound nice? Anyway, with that out of the way... I'll see you tomorrow, Sydney. Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.